Welcome to Living Water Radio. Our nation has a new administration today. What does that tell us about evangelism? My name is Pastor David Burkadall. My wife, Reverend Sally Welch, is co-producing this podcast. Sally is a United Church of Christ slash Christian Church Disciples of Christ ordained minister focusing on ecumenical and interfaith ministry. I served Lutheran Christian congregations in Compton, California and in San Dimas, California for over 40 years. Today, maintaining our yard is my gym, and I'm active as a volunteer in the leadership of the 110 Evangelical Lutheran Church in America congregations in our area. Check out our first Living Water Radio podcast, number zero, Welcome and Introduction, for more information about us and this podcast. Yesterday, we witnessed a peaceful transition of power. It was a day filled with tension and drama. Some watched in surprise as their world changed unexpectedly. Others saw everything they had hoped for unfold. For some, the world they knew had fallen away and changed forever. For others, it was a confirmation of their long-held longings and a restoration of hope. And all of that, all of that is demonstrated in a scene from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, described at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark in Galilee, chapter 1 starting with verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Some watched four sons, two pairs of brothers, walk away from their jobs and their families, families who would never be the same. Others Simon Peter and Andrew and James and John, the two pairs of brothers, saw something in Jesus that was everything they had hoped for. For some, the Messiah promised for a thousand years, including 300 years of prophetic silence, might have come to their neighborhood already to act, but he sure didn't look like the military leader they expected. Others saw the Messiah now present and presenting a new possibility for the future, God's reign, finally. The kingdom of God was at hand, right there looking at them, and they were suddenly under a new administration. John the Baptist, the one who prepared the way, had been arrested by Herod Antipas, an act of violence just before the arrival of a new administration. Herod Antipas was a regional client governor of Galilee, working for the Romans, a region of northern Israel that included Nazareth, a region widely regarded as the wrong side of the tracks. Herod Antipas was subject to the Romans' own political king, King Herod, who ruled the nation of Israel from its capital, Jerusalem. Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. That's a pretty succinct message, but it contained everything that Jesus was about. He walked along the Sea of Galilee, seven miles wide and 13 miles long, about 20 miles northeast of Nazareth, 
and saw some fishermen, Simon and his brother, Andrew. He said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately, a word Mark uses 40 times in his short 16-chapter gospel, they left their nets and followed him. Conductor and composer Leonard Bernstein once said, to achieve great things, two things are needed, a plan and not quite enough time. Was there this urgency in Jesus' voice? Was the Spirit of God moving within the fishermen? Was it a midlife crisis? I've read that when someone who was born blind receives their sight, one of the hardest things for them to grasp is the difference between abstractions and reality, the difference between an apple and a picture of an apple, for example. How did these fishermen see in Jesus the reality of the thing their people had hoped for? Not the idea, but the reality. Revealing the fullness of that reality was a task that would fill the rest of Jesus' three-year public ministry, right through his death on the cross for the sin of the world. He walked a little farther and saw two other brothers, also commercial fishermen, James and John, and immediately, that word again, he extended the same invitation to them, and they left everybody and everything, and they followed him. That's the whole story. So what's its message? Don't let Jesus find you at work. Be careful what you hope for. Anything must be better than the life of a commercial fisherman. Lots of people enjoy fishing as a hobby, for some peace and quiet, or for some free fish. Because you know what they say, give someone a fish and you feed them for a day. Teach someone to fish and, and you can sell them fishing equipment for the rest of their lives. A friend of our family joined the Coast Guard after 9-11. He was stationed in Alaska. He wanted to serve our country, guard its shores, and protect its citizens. He eventually left the Coast Guard disillusioned after he found that almost all his time was spent picking up commercial fishermen strung out on amphetamines. Commercial fishing is a demanding job, and commercial fishermen can't afford to sleep when fish have been found. Commercial fishing would have given the disciples a decent and even middle-class life, though. Their product was always in demand, and James and John's father Zebedee was at least doing well enough that he could hire employees outside his family. And we know that their livelihoods weren't lost when they followed Jesus. What did the disciples do after Jesus was crucified and died, and after three days rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and they didn't know what was going to happen next? They went back to fishing. Jesus found some of them on the beach and had breakfast with them. Have you ever gone fishing? What's the most important thing you have to learn? Be quiet, use the right bait, leave the dynamite at home. Sure, but what about before you do any of those things? If you want to catch fish, you have to go to where the fish are. If you want to catch fish, you have to go to where the fish are. People used to say, and in fact, I've said it in numerous sermons myself, that the church isn't a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. Then I read a different version of that saying. The church isn't a hospital for sinners waiting for them to come in through the doors. The church is more like the paramedics and EMTs going to where the sick and broken people are and bringing them to a place where they can be made whole. If you want to catch fish, you have to go to where the fish are. If, as evangelist and ecumenist D.T. Niles said, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, we have to go to where our fellow beggars are. 
We met a native Alaskan artist in Alaska after doing a little exploring in an off-the-beaten-track part of a town a few years ago. We bought some art from him and talked with him in his shop for a long time. He said that he had to work lots of jobs to cobble together a living, but that one job he did not like doing was fishing for crabs. Crabs are bottom feeders and will eat anything. A buddy of his prevailed on him to help him fish for crabs one day, though, and a storm came up suddenly on the ocean. He found himself thrown out of the boat, and his thick, down-filled coat became saturated and started to pull him under, down to where the crabs were, his worst fear. His friend tried throwing him a rope, but the sea was too rough, and he kept missing. He prayed and begged God to save him. Just then, a huge swell rose under him and literally threw him back into the boat. He landed on his feet. That's a witness. Why did you become a Christian? Some of us can't think of a time when we weren't Christians. Why do you remain a Christian? How did your relationship with God support you in a time of loss or doubt? When has Christ rescued you? When has he saved you from your worst fear, when all seemed lost, or from going down a wrong path? What made you think that it was Jesus working in your life? That's your witness. We don't need dramatic conversion stories. We just need to tell our stories, particularly with people who are going through similar things to what we did. Evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread, and in Martin Luther's last words, We are all beggars, that's for sure. Pastors can't do it. At least they can't do it all. Study after study shows that when a pastor shares his or her faith, people think, well, that's the pastor's job. When a pastor tries to evangelize, depending on a person's experience or stereotypes, they're often seen as having ulterior motives, someone just wanting more members for more money or more prestige in the community. The testimony of a credible witness, that is, a friend or a relative, from someone who is seen as someone with nothing to gain personally, is responsible for, depending on the study, 80 to 85 percent of all those who come to have a living faith in God. How did you first come to faith in God? It might have been through the influence of a pastor or a church program or a church that was the nearest Lutheran church in your neighborhood. But someone wanted to share something good with you, and chances are it was the witness of a friend or a relative. I'm not passing the buck here, and I know how hard it is. We all want to be liked, we want to be accepted and not looked upon as being weird or, in school or at work, worse, divisive. I have a lapel pin that my dad wore. It was part of a popular evangelism program in the early 60s. The lapel pin is in the shape of a fish hook. You can still get them online for less than a couple of bucks. I think that wearing them was supposed to be a conversation starter, but I don't know that it would be very effective today. Any conversation that came up, I think, would sound like a trick, or that was something your church wanted you to do. I think that today, they would be more effective as a message to the wearer, to remember who they are by remembering who they follow. I think that there are few enough of us that the world might be curious. They might be hungry for community and open to an invitation to meet Jesus at this stage in the pandemic, where we are finally seeing a decline in cases, hospitalizations, and deaths in L.A. County, but saw the second highest number of national coronavirus deaths in a single day yesterday. 
and that they might be surprised to learn that there are Christians who aren't like the ones they see on TV and other media. Disciples didn't get invited to follow a teacher in Jesus' day or in any day in Israel's history. They made a request to follow. What does it say to us about the nature of the kingdom of God that Jesus invites disciples who are not powerful or learned, but fishermen? That Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom where God reigns and that we see in his person and in his actions the way things are supposed to be, a restoration of the way God created things to be, created us to be. That is the kingdom that Jesus proclaimed. It's Jesus. It's the living, defining relationship with God made possible by Jesus' death on the cross. And what was the message? The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. What are we to do in response to the inbreaking already but not yet kingdom of God? Repent, turn away from that which is killing us, and believe, that is, to live in that living relationship. The kingdom Jesus spoke of was not a dictatorship. It was a relationship. Jesus said little about God as king, but lived the life of a servant. He spoke of God as Abba, an Aramaic language term spoken in love for a father by a child. In fact, in this regard, Jesus was something of an embarrassment to his disciples. Remember the tunic that didn't have a seam that the soldiers gambled for at the cross? I had thought it was because a seamless garment was expensive. Apparently, that's not the case. I read an article last year called, What Would Jesus Wear? or something like that. It said that the robe Jesus is described as wearing was usually worn by babies because its seamlessness made it comfortable for them. It was worn as an undergarment beneath an outer tunic by adults. Jesus only wore the seamless undergarment like a baby. He had nothing to protect him. He was an embarrassment, probably, to his disciples. We are, all of us, disciples of Christ. How do we live that? How do we share our faith and make disciples in a time of social isolation, during an international pandemic, and a time of national crisis? How do we lift up Jesus in a time of increasing secularization? Has Jesus become, once again, something of an embarrassment to us? You may have heard that the Chinese character for crisis is the same as that for opportunity. What in our various crises might lead people to want what we have to offer? Part of the answer is Trinitarian. Our witness begins with a worldview. That God created everything out of nothing. That he made human beings for a living relationship with the one true living God. That a real relationship required the ability to say no. And that's exactly what people did. And that that's how evil entered and continues to enter the world. That God tried starting over an obvious punishment of many languages, liberation from slavery, prophets, priests, kings, all to motivate people to return to that relationship. When human beings did not, he came in human flesh and suffered and died to pay the debt of all those no's and heal the separation between God and human beings through the gift of that relationship or faith to all who would receive it, sealed by baptism. Our witness is focused on Jesus' death on the cross, a poor man condemned and executed unjustly out of God's love for his fallen world. 
That love is what we embody in response to the gift of God in Jesus Christ and is seen at work in our pioneering development of almost everything good in the world, including orphanages, hospitals, universities, social service agencies, adoption agencies, foster care agencies, housing for the homeless, and so on. A power to live and do these things, though we are sinners, comes from the Holy Spirit, God's ongoing personal presence for good in the world, dwelling within us, and thereby making us also saints. These three are our witness in the world, and they are one witness. God is present and at work seeking people to follow him. God is present in our past, in our present, and in our future. And Jesus, who was fully God and fully human being, and is now present among us, is making this same invitation to us to follow him every day. How do we disciples make disciples? You might be participating in your church's worship life on Facebook, Zoom, or YouTube. Do you know how easy it is to forward these things to someone anywhere in the world who you know might benefit from a credible Christian voice, an invitation to faith, or simply a word of encouragement? Or how about this podcast or its related YouTube videos and blog text? You already know how easy these things are to share with people anywhere. How do we become fishers of people? Go to where the people are, both physically and in terms of what they need. Let's examine our lives and then tell our stories of need and grace, of guilt and forgiveness, of our past and how God has given us our futures. Share your life with people by being their servant. Share your faith in God with them as their friend. Speak Jesus to them the kingdom of God, who comes to us both as our servant and as our friend, and in every need with everything good. Invite them to know him and to come and live under a new administration. Today, let's remember to pray for all those awaiting the vaccine. And let's remember to pray the Lord's Prayer today, the one that Jesus taught us, If you don't know what that is, contact us at therevsdavidandsally at gmail.com or send us a tweet to at David Burkadal and we'll send it to you. Send your prayer requests to the same addresses and we'll include them next time. Send your comments there as well. As always, we encourage you to stay hydrated. Open your heart to receive the living water from the source, God's self, the living presence of the one true living God, the God who gave himself on the cross so that all who believe and are baptized might be restored to the living relationship with God for which we were created. Remember your church. Identify one if you don't already have one. Ask a friend about it or a family member. Google it. Contact the pastor. When you have a church, go to or tune in to the worship services they have currently available and support the church financially so that it will be there when we come back to fully physically present worship together. Support your pastor and church leaders. Pray for them and help them in any way that you can. If you or a loved one are having thoughts of suicide or are struggling with mental health issues, call somebody. Google a local or national hotline. Reach out. You are not alone. Wear a mask when you're outside your home, practice social distancing, wash or sanitize your hands regularly. Stay home unless you are providing essential services or need them. Avoid crowds and be outside if you have to be in a crowd. Be kind to everyone you come into contact with, especially those who are sacrificing their security to provide for yours. Thank you for listening to Living Water Radio. 
We are here for Christians and for the people of the Los Angeles metropolitan area who are looking for a sense of Christian community, a source of hope, and a way to thrive together during this global pandemic. We hope you'll tune in next time and invite your friends to do the same. Meanwhile, Sally and I encourage you to open your hearts to receive living water, the presence of the Holy Spirit, and stay hydrated.